pleasure uh, to be able to stand before the people of God with the Word of God. Joel said there that uh, they wanted to scream the name of Jesus as our only hope. And that, that's, that is very true. Um, Jesus is our only hope, and we need to be about uh, the process of declaring Him as, as such uh, as well. Um, my name is Joey. I'm one of the elders here at the Summit Crossing Limestone. I am um, uh, always uh, just overjoyed to be able to bring the Word of God before the people of God and praying that the Spirit of God will empower it uh, to, to change our hearts and our minds and our lives. And so that's my hope for you today, uh, is that you will grow in faith, which of course is um, the assurance of things hoped for. So we're going to be talking a little bit about hope this morning. Um, we've been going through a, a kind of a vision series where we covered uh, Know, Connect, Live, Family, Servant, Missionary, and um, now we're, we're doing kind of an abbreviated Advent series. Normally we try to take about four weeks for Advent, and uh, this, this year we're going to take just the two, and we're going to cover hope and joy, and then peace and love uh, next week. And so we look forward to, to that as well. I'm going to be doing that from uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 22. We're going to read that in a moment, and, and you're going to be reading that and looking at that, and as you hear it, you're going to say, what in the world does this have to do with Christmas? What in the world does this have to do with hope? And what in the world does this have to do with joy, probably? Um, because I was doing the same thing in prep and thinking through what, I, what text I would use uh, to go through this this morning, and I kept coming back to this text, and, uh, and so I finally submitted and said, okay, this is the text I'll do, um, and so I, I pray this morning that it comes across to you in a manner that uh, increases your faith because of the assurance that we have uh, of the things for which we hope. Uh, before I read the text, though, I want to give you just a little bit of the background of the text. Paul had uh, was writing, of course, to the Corinthians, and, and he had written at the end of the first letter uh, to the Corinthians. He had kind of given them his itinerary there in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. He had told them that uh, he, he was going to come uh, to them on his way to Macedonia and might spend the winter there, uh, just kind of itinerary type stuff. Uh, and then as you open up in the second Corinthians, you find out that uh, the itinerary had changed and then maybe it even changed back, but the itinerary became uh, tentative there for a while. And so uh, Paul is trying to explain himself and why his itinerary had changed because it had gone to he was going to go through go through them on the way to Macedonia and on the way back instead of uh, on the way there and spending the winter. And so the itinerary had had changed, and some people in Corinth were upset with Paul because of this. Uh, and maybe even began to say that he was not a man of his word because his, uh, he was not doing what he said he was going to do. And maybe even had gone so far as to question the gospel he preached because his word could not be trusted. And so that's kind of the scene uh, as we go into Second um, uh, Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. He's kind of He's kind of recapped that, and I won't do all of that. We're just going to go straight to verse 18. He's recapped that and told him about his itinerary and what has happened. And now we get to verse 18 where he says, As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no. 
but in him it is always yes. Don't miss verse 20. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So we have this beautiful text where there's some confusion about itinerary and Paul is kind of setting the record straight in that he is saying, I am not the kind of guy who says yes and no. You know those kind of people, right? Maybe you deal with them at work or, or, or whatever, but you know those kind of people. You ask a, a very straightforward question, and their answer is kind of, well, yes and no. And you're like, what does that even mean? Yes and, Are you going to meet me at 10 o'clock? Well, yeah, yes and no. Um, what's your itinerary? Are you going to come here on your way to Macedonia or not? Well, yeah, yes or no. How can it be both? You know, uh, that, the people who answer questions that way just kind of frustrate me, right? Or, or maybe it's the, the even worse answer you get at work all the time. I get it all the time. And it's, you ask a very straightforward question, and the answer is, well, it depends. It depends, right? And, and it's because nobody's willing to commit to anything, right? Well, Paul was trying to set the record straight early and saying, you know, when I say yes, I mean yes. Uh, and you can trust me. And I was wholeheartedly following what I believe to be the will of God and all of that kind of stuff. But notice what he does. He stops talking about himself. And he pivots directly to Jesus. In verse 20. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. So before we do anything this morning, I want you to understand a little bit about the promises of God. Because Paul is saying all of the promises of God are yes in Him. That is, all of the promises of God are true in Him, are accomplished in Him, are complete in Him, are fulfilled in Him. All the promises of God. That is, God can be trusted at His Word. And so while while Paul's itinerary may have changed, things may have been a little bit confusing for a while, that may not have gone as they intended or as they expected or as they had even maybe hoped. That did not impact the message that Paul had preached. The message that Paul had preached was true. That's what he's getting at. All the promises of God are yes in him. So what do we mean by all the promises of God? Well, I cannot take time this morning to walk through one by one all of the promises of God recorded in the Old Testament, okay? But that's kind of what Paul is pointing at. So what we'll do is we'll take kind of a 50,000-foot view, flyover of kind of the meta-narrative promises of God that we see in the Old Testament, okay? Obviously, when, when uh, God calls Abraham... He promises him that he would make him a, a great nation and that you will be my people and I will be your God. He promises that. Now, there are occasions in the story of the Old Testament where that seems to be at risk. If you know your Old Testament, you know some history, we'll talk about it a little bit in, in a moment, and it seems like from time to time that promise was at risk. 
It seemed at times that these people, Israel, weren't even going to be a people anymore from time to time. But God promised that you will be my people and I will be your God. He promised this to Abraham as he would make him a great nation. Not only that, but he promised that through his seed that he would be a blessing to all nations. Now, of course, that seemed to be at risk as well from time to time as some other nations destroyed them. And yet again, other nations captured them. And it was began to wonder, how is God going to do what God said he was going to do? Is God a man of his word? Is he going to accomplish all that he said he was going to accomplish? How can we, poor little Israel, be a blessing to all nations? And he promised, of course, once the kingdom was established and David was made king, he had promised that this throne, the throne of David, would be an everlasting throne. Well, if you're familiar with history, you know that the nation was divided into two and ultimately destroyed, and it seemed like that kingdom and that throne came to an end. How is God going to accomplish the promises that He had declared? Of course, there's the law in general, right? The law is filled with promises. And we often like to think about the positive promises of the law, but let's not forget before we get there that the law is filled with promises of cursing. That is, the law is filled with with promises toward us if we disobey. Disobedience to the law came with cursing. It was obedience to the law that came with blessing. And so there are promises of cursings associated with the law. There are promises of blessing associated with the law. And God had promised all these things to the nation of Israel. And at times it seemed as though God was either unwilling to accomplish what He had promised or had lost control of all things such that He could no longer accomplish what He promised or had forgotten But Paul says here that all of the promises of God are yes in Him. All the promises of God find their yes in Him. This yes is accomplishment, I've already said. Completeness, fulfillment, positive fulfillment from Christ. And so as we look back kind of at those things, I want us to understand that that this idea of the fact that all promises of God have their yes in Christ ought to give us great hope. Ought to give, hope is that, that we believe that it is not something that we wish might happen. Hope in the Christian sense is the assurance of those things which God has promised will happen. And we, in this New Testament day, can look back on all of those Old Testament promises and have confidence that God has accomplished His promise, and therefore our hope is assured to be fulfilled. So how did Christ then accomplish the promises of God? Well, let's just look at just those five. Of course, we can't look at them all, but let's look at just those five. 
in his death, burial, and resurrection, Christ, it is told us in the New Testament, purchased for himself a people. We today, having believed in Jesus Christ by the power of the gospel at work in us, producing faith by grace, we the people have become the people of God. We the Gentiles have become those people whom God promised to his son. We are his people. Jamie preached not too long ago about us being the family of God, the people of God. God is our Father. We have been made the people of God. And through His death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus Christ accomplished, completed, and fulfilled the promise that you will be my people and I will be your God. That is complete, not to be undone, final, yes. So in that, we certainly begin to understand we have hope. Now, it was told to Abraham that through your nation, but through your seed, you will be a blessing to all nations. And we understand looking back on those things through a New Testament lens, that is looking at those things through Jesus, that we understand that we have been set apart as his people and commissioned by him to go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them all things I have taught you. And lo, I will be with you to the very end of the age. Dave read that at the beginning of the service. Yes, the seed of Abraham through his, that is Jesus, Paul tells us that in Galatians, the seed of Abraham, Jesus, accomplished a blessing to all nations through his death, burial, and resurrection. Because in that death, burial, and resurrection, he becomes the Savior of the entire world to the ends of the earth, purchasing for himself not just Jews, but purchasing for himself peoples from all tribes and all nations and all tongues. And we are called into the process of being that blessing to the nations because we have been given the commission to take that message to the ends of the earth. That's what Paul was a part of. That's why he was going to Corinth to begin with. He was taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Jesus becoming that blessing to all nations. So, in Christ, the promise that Abraham's seed would bless all nations had its yes. Of course, we know that Jesus was the son of David, right? During that, during that census of that day, we, were, we, we all know that Mary and Joseph were going to Bethlehem, the city of David, and while there gave birth to their son, Jesus. And the reason they were there is because they were being counted as members of the Family of David, and Jesus then is the son of David. And Jesus, throughout his ministry, is establishing the kingdom of God, bringing the kingdom of God to the earth. And in his death, burial, and resurrection, sealed for us the kingdom for eternity. And in his ascension, was raised to take his proper place, seated on the throne for all eternity, the throne of David over the kingdom of God forever. And so in Christ, the promise that David's throne would be an everlasting throne has its yes in Jesus. 
Now, wait a minute, Joey. You said that the law has curses or promises cursing. How are, how are you going to say that the law's promise of cursing has its yes in Jesus? I know this because I have not fulfilled the law. I have not lived up to the measure of the standard of the righteousness given to us in the law. Yes, I have fallen short of the glory of God, which is displayed for us in the law. And therefore, I am one who deserves and who has earned all of the cursing of the law, all of the penalty, all of the punishment, all of God's wrath in the law. That's what the cursing was. And by the way, you are in the same boat with me. I can say that confidently because we have the same father, Adam, and we together have inherited the original guilt and the original sin of Adam, and so we stand before God guilty of the law and deserving the punishment and penalty of the law in the wrath of God. But the punishment of the law has its yes in Christ because Jesus Christ, deserving none of that, took on Himself my sin, your sin, and received in Himself the curse of the law. For the gospel tells us that any man who hangs on a tree is cursed. And Jesus Christ, having been crucified on Calvary's tree, took on himself the cursing of the law, therefore making the promise of the cursing of the law, yes, in Christ. The promised blessing of the law is given to you and me, though we do not deserve it, because Jesus Christ deserves all of the blessing of the law because of His righteousness in fulfilling it. And as He's taking on our sin and our penalty, He grants to us His righteousness and righteous fulfillment of the law, and therefore gives us the benefits of the blessing of the law because we receive it in His place. It's a beautiful transaction that takes place on the cross of our sin being given to His account and His righteousness being given to our account and we receive the the, the beautiful blessings of the law. That is, He receives our death and separation. We receive His life and beautiful presence with God for all eternity. All the promises of God have their yes in Christ. And in that, we have assured hope. Because we know that the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ finished, finalized, assured all of the promises of God, and therefore nothing can undo that, and we are assured hope. So as you decorate your homes this Christmas, As you gather with family as much as you can this Christmas, I encourage you to make this Christmas a celebration of the hope that we have, which is assured to us because all the promises of God are yes in Jesus. Make this a celebration of Jesus and the completion and fulfillment of the promises of God.
when we understand that, when we begin to know that his promises have yes or yes in him, we begin to celebrate it appropriately and we begin to just naturally respond with this beautiful, worshipful, glorious amen. That's what Paul says, right? In verse 20 again. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Notice that the promises have yes in him, because as we look from God's perspective of making the promise, he sees Jesus, his son, having fulfilled those promises as he looks upon his son and he says yes. We, from the other perspective, Look at the promises of God, not through the circumstances of life surrounding us, but we look at the promises of God, not through our own inabilities. We look at the promises of God through Jesus. And we see the glory of God and say, Amen. You see, this Amen that we say is, is, a, is an Amen of agreement. It means surely. It means make it so. It's this powerful statement of agreement. And so when we see the promises of God, we in our spirits agree and have fellowship with God in our unity and agreement about these promises made to us. And we celebrate them with an amen. It's an amen that that focuses us not on our benefits or the things that we receive because of the blessings of those promises. No, it's an amen that focuses us on the glory of God through Jesus. And that's why Paul, Paul says we utter our amen to God for His glory. Because as we stare upon, gaze upon, reflect upon the beauty of the promises of God, we begin to see the beauty of beauty of the glory of God in the excellencies of Christ. And we are drawn to worship Him and we say, Amen. And so, this agreement that comes out of us is a Amen. And our worshipful response to God is Amen. And this response that we have in us as believers that's generated by that spirit we've been given in our rebirth is one of great joy. And so we have hope in the truth that all the promises of God are yes in Christ and we have joy in our response to him because we see it through the completed work of Jesus, giving us assurance and confidence in our hope, which causes us to spill over in worshipful, glorious, assured amen. This is the Christian's hope. This is the Christian's joy. This is why we can say our joy is despite circumstances. Because in our hearts, in our lives, in our understanding, the circumstances are finished. That is, the circumstances that matter are are done, are complete. The promises of God are yes in Him. And therefore, no matter the circumstances we face in life, we see all things through Him. 
and cry out, amen. Because we know that God is still at work, and he's working to, uh, God, is, God is still at work accomplishing his good purpose for all those who are called according to his purpose. And so we can cry out in the midst of difficult circumstances, amen. Now, there, there were times, of course, in the life of the nation of Israel where that amen was hard to come by, right? There are times in your life where that amen is hard to come by. I mean, even when the children of Israel were enslaved in Egypt, God was still at work accomplishing His purpose in Christ. Even when the children of Israel were wandering aimlessly, seemingly in the desert, God was still at work accomplishing His purposes in Christ. Some of which, some of those Israelites during that time began to grumble, obviously. And they, they were saying to Moses, please, Moses, just take us back to Egypt. We'd rather be slaves than be in these circumstances. You've probably been in circumstances in your life where you just wanted anything else but this, right? But even in the midst of that wandering in the desert, God was at work accomplishing His purpose in Christ. And His promises were still yes in him even when the israel the nation of israel was attacked and destroyed by assyria god was at work accomplishing his purposes in christ even though at the end of that it looked like there may not be a nation of israel they would still be a nation that was a blessing to all nations, to the ends of the earth. God was prefer- preserving Himself a remnant through it all in Christ. And even when it, 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 it seemed as though the, the Babylonians had captured Israel and had taken into captivity different people and, and people began to take on the culture of the Babylonians rather than the biblical culture of the kingdom of God and the people of God. They took on the culture of the Babylonians. Even in the midst of all of that, God was at work in Christ accomplishing His purposes. It may not have seemed like it in the moment. and it may, They may have thought God had given up. They may have thought that God had turned against them. They may have thought that their God was dead. As a matter of fact, that period was followed by a time of 400 years of silence of the prophets, where between the Old and New Testament there was no prophet speaking to Israel, there was no leadership it seems that was godly, and and there may have been some who have, well, we should just give up. God's never going to send that Redeemer, that Messiah that He promised. 400 years. And ultimately, of course, the children of Israel are ruled by Rome. The world's biggest power. And it seemed as though Israel was dissolved and going away, never to have hope again in the promises of God. And during that period, of course, it was the Israelites under Roman rule who crucified the very Messiah that God had promised. 
But I'm here to tell you that even in the crucifixion of the very Messiah that God had promised, God was accomplishing all of the purposes and promises that he had made in Christ. For in the moment of the crucifixion, his death, burial, and resurrection, all the promises of God found their yes. So, have you ever felt like God may have abandoned you? I mean, have you ever, have you ever felt like things weren't going according to your itinerary? Right? Your itinerary changed. Your plans for your life have had to change. It's not quite working out the way you intended or you planned. You ever gotten angry at God because of that? I mean, hey, have you lived through 2020? Circumstances have not been what we intended or what we planned. Have you ever felt like God is just in the midst of it, just abandoned? Or or maybe, maybe you felt like in circumstances of life have gotten so confusing or so messed up and, and so ugly and so bad, you never thought you would be at this point. And so maybe you just say, God must have lost control. It's weird to think that, and, and you kind of maybe feel bad for thinking it, but let's be honest and let's be genuine. There are times in life where we think such things. God, where are you? Have you lost control? Are you still sovereign? Are you still on that eternal throne that you said you would be on? Are you still loving me? Are you still showing mercy to me? How can you be showing mercy when my life looks like this? And maybe you just reached the point where you just stop praying because, well, he doesn't hear me anyway. You feel like, you try to pray, it's just nothing going on there. And you just kind of begin to give up. Life's not going according to plan. Itinerary keeps changing. And you wonder, where has God gone? I'll be, I'll be honest. My family's had a pretty rough go of it for the last two and a half years. From a skateboard hitting her in the head, falling off of a window, I don't know how that happens, but to multiple car accidents, plural, right, uh, to ankle surgeries and elbow surgeries and all sorts of family matters. It's just been a very rough go for the last two years. And there are times in the midst of all of that that you wonder, God, this is not what I saw coming. This is not what I thought you had promised me. You see, our promises don't find their yes in Christ. God's promises find their yes in Christ. And so in the midst of it all, we may wonder, what is God doing but we can look back with confidence, knowing that the promises of God have their yes in Christ, knowing that we can be assured of that hope 
therefore see our faith in Christ in the midst of horrible circumstances increase rather than decrease because the promises of God are yes in Christ. Despite how we feel about our circumstances, despite how we feel about our inability, despite how we feel about our understanding of what God is doing, God's promises still have their yes in Christ. And we can rest assured and confident in life's circumstances. And therefore, no matter how bad it seems, no matter how different it seems, no, how, no matter how overwhelming it seems, we can cry out with this instinctive, almost joyful, worshipful affirmation of Amen. Because we agree. It's hard to agree with the circumstances. But we agree because we know two things. God is sovereign. And God is good. And so we trust Him. And we have an eternal hope in Christ Jesus. Because not only has He... A, made the promises of God around us in the temporal. Yes, He has made the eternal promises of God that we may be with Him forever. He has made those promises, yes, as well, in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 22 quickly. I'll, I'll read verse 21 just to give it context. And, and it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put His seal on us and given us His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Paul says it in, in other places as well, that the Spirit of God has been given us and it is indwelling us as a guarantee of our inheritance in Christ. And so the promises that have been given to us in Christ, that we will be with Him forever, that we will live with Him in righteousness, in a restored beautiful, reconciled relationship with God for all eternity, that also has its yes in Christ in His death, burial, and resurrection. And we have been given this beautiful gift of the Spirit of God to live in us, guaranteeing us of that hope. We look back on the promises of God made in the Old Testament and see that they have their yes in Christ and fulfillment, and that assurance gives us confidence in the hope that we have in our future grace with him forever just as he has accomplished the promises of the past he is accomplishing and has accomplished the promises of our future glory with him as well all the promises of god have their yes in him paul's itinerary may have changed Jesus told us that He was coming again to gather His people. And there may be times where we think, hmm, it's been a while. Is He slow about keeping His promises? A day is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day. By the way, that is stated in, in Peter as a, within the eschatological context. He's talking about the return of Jesus. He's not slow. 
about keeping his promises. His promises have their yes in Christ. But we may wonder at times, is he ever going to finalize this? Is he ever going to finish this? Is he ever going to break through those clouds? And and will the dead in Christ ever raise? And will we ever be caught up in the air with them? Will we ever be able to truly worship him in purity for eternity with voices from all tribes and all nations and all lands? May we ever be able to do that? Has his itinerary changed? We grow impatient or we grow lackadaisical or we just grow stale. I encourage you this morning, focus your heart this Christmas season on the truth that the promises of God have their yes in Christ. And I pray it will cause you to cry out with a bold, worshipful agreement with an assured amen knowing that when he has promised his return, he is not slow about accomplishing it, but that he will finalize his work in our ultimate glorification alongside him. As a matter of fact, Revelation chapter 22, verse 20, it is Jesus himself who says these words, Yes, I am coming quickly. Jesus Christ himself, the one in whom all the promises of God have their yes, says and promises, yes, I am coming quickly. And what is our natural, beautiful response of the spirit that indwells us other than, amen, come, Lord Jesus. I pray that this hope we have in him will produce an unending joy in your hearts. Father, I thank you this morning for the beauty of your word, the beauty of the grace that you give us to understand your word by the power of your spirit. I am overwhelmed with the joy of knowing that you have completed all of your promises in Christ. I pray, God, that as we focus our hearts on Jesus this morning, that we will recall the truths of that hope. And that hope will spring forth in us as a joyful, worshipful amen, and that you will cause us to be able to weather any storm, to walk hopefully and joyfully through life's circumstances, not in our own strength, but knowing the beauty of the grace of Jesus Christ and the ultimate glory which you have promised, which is yes, accomplished, completed, done in his death, burial, and resurrection. Give us this hope anew and afresh, and may it cause us to live with joy in all things. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Here at Summit, we have a beautiful um, uh, opportunity each Sunday to take the Lord's Supper together. Uh, you have a cup there in your chair or nearby. has two seals on it. One seal, the top seal opens up the, uh, the bread. The second seal opens up a cup of juice. Of course, the bread represents the body of Christ, which was broken for us. And the juice represents the blood of Christ, I like to say, which was not spilled, but intentionally poured out for us. And as we take this supper this morning, I pray that you will be reminded that it is in his death, burial, and resurrection 
that Jesus accomplished all the promises of God for our benefit, for your grace. And I, I ask that if you're a believer here this morning, join us in this supper. If you're an unbeliever, we ask that you abstain from this supper. Come find one of us, talk to us. We can help you understand why. We can under, help you understand the gospel more clearly, and we pray that the Spirit of God would call you to salvation. This morning, as you're a believer, I ask you to just spend some time reflecting. Reflect on the difficulties of your life. Reflect, yes, on the sin of your life and the curse that you may be deserving from the law. And know and declare that Jesus Christ has taken it in your place. Know and declare in this supper that no matter life's circumstances, there is hope because all the promises of God are yes in Jesus. Father, we thank you for these elements. We thank you for the blood of Jesus poured out for our sin. We thank you that our iniquity was put on him and he and his body received our lashings in our place as our substitute. We ask now that you would use this gracious work each Sunday and especially today to continue the work of sanctifying us and to making us more like Jesus, making us reflect on, on the things that Jesus has taken in our place and reflect on the blessings that he's given us in his death and resurrection. And I pray that we would receive your grace this morning, being made more and more into the likeness of the image of Christ. And as we declare his death, I pray, O oh Father, that we take this supper in anticipation of his return, saying, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, in a worshipful, assured, joyful response. We pray in Christ's holy name. Amen. Take, eat, drink. This is the body and blood of Jesus.